uh, as they're getting those passed out and handed out the last few ones, you found your place in Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to wrap up the book of Habakkuk, our series through this book of Habakkuk this morning. And thank you, gentlemen, for doing that. Appreciate you being willing. They didn't know I was going to ask them to do that, and they did a, a wonderful job with that. So thank you so much, deacons, for helping us out with that. Uh, the book of Habakkuk is, is really a book of, of conversations, a, a series of conversations between a prophet named Habakkuk and God. And Habakkuk has grown uh, up around seeing a lot of sin and a lot of, uh, of heartache, a lot of injustice, and Habakkuk's just really tired of it. And he goes to God and he says, God, I'm tired of what I'm seeing. Will you not do something about this sin? Will you not stop this? Will you not intervene? And God says, yes, I'll intervene intervene, Habakkuk, and here's how I'm going to intervene. There's a group of people who live near you. They're called the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they've been wanting to attack you and attack my people and come into this land for a long time. I've held them back. So my plan is I'm no longer going to hold them back. To, to execute judgment against the sin of my people, I'm going to send these Babylonians into the land, and they're going to be my means of judgment. Habakkuk says, wait a minute, God, I don't know that I like that plan. I mean, I know I ask you for a plan. You ever done that? You ever ask God for a plan? And God says, here's the plan. And you've gone, God, I don't like that plan. <laughs> well, back it's like that. Back it's like, God, I don't know that I like that plan. I live here too. And, and he offers this complaint to God. He, he places his soul, he bears his soul before God. And at the end of chapter 2, God is telling Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I need you to trust me. I need you to, to rely upon me. The righteous shall live by faith, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. So Habakkuk, I'm going to need you to trust me that I know what I'm doing. I'm giving people space to repent. There's going to be difficulties, but trust me through those difficulties. And chapter 2 ends with God saying, I want you to sit. In fact, I want the whole earth to sit in silence before me to think about who I am and to think about what I desire to do. Habakkuk does that. We don't know how long he sits in silence before God, but he sits and contemplates, and as he does this, he is led to worship God. In the midst of his pain, he is led to praise God. That's what we're going to look at today is how we praise God, how we rejoice in God through pain. And in Habakkuk chapter 3, you see a song coming from his voice. You see words coming from his lips as he gives praise to God in his pain. Let's look at how the chapter opens up. Habakkuk chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shiganoth. That's John Doe's cousin, I believe. <laughs> oh Lord, here's his prayer, his praise to God. Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Let me pause here to, to help us understand what Habakkuk is saying. Habakkuk is saying, God, I have heard through the Scriptures. God, I have heard through the teachers of the Scriptures. God, I have heard through the reports of people who record the history of your people. I have heard that there have been times and there have been seasons in which you 
have shown up in unveiled glory. God, I have heard that there have been times that you have come to be among your people. God, I've heard that there are times that you've dealt with sin, that you've dealt with injustice. God, I've heard there have been times that your name and your fame has broken out and spread among all people. God, I've heard that you have moved in the past among your people. God, I've heard all of these things, but I'm not seeing them in my day. What I see, I see the wicked prosper. I see the unrighteous seem to have the advantage. God, I've heard that you've done these great things, but I have not seen it myself. If we're going to be honest this morning, we would say that many of us have experienced a frustration similar to Habakkuk's. God, I, I see where you have done great things in the past. God, I saw you work in so-and-so's life, but God, I haven't seen the miracle in my life. God, why haven't I seen the healing? God, I have, I've, I've never seen a sea part. God, I have not witnessed anyone walk on water. God, I've seen you do big things. I've heard that you've done big things, but I have not seen it. But how I long to see it. Habakkuk is longing for a day when God would show up in such a way that everyone will have the opportunity to know who God is and would respond by surrendering to him and that their lives would reflect as much Habakkuk is longing for a day where sin and suffering is finally banished. And it's a day that we, like Habakkuk, long for ourselves. See, there are times and seasons in history in which God has shown up in that way, where God has shown up with that kind of glory. And Habakkuk said, I've heard it, but God, I want to see it. And Habakkuk begins to tell us, or to tell God more accurately, he begins to rehearse all the powerful moves of God. Habakkuk speaks of how God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. He says in verse 3, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before God went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. You remember that story of how God's power showed up when the people of God were in slavery to Egypt and God said through Moses, let my people go. And God sent that pestilence, God sent that plague to break the will and to move the heart to let the people go. And there was a display of God's power. And Habakkuk said, I want to see that kind of display to God. He talks about that power in verse 6 where he says that he, God, stood and measured the earth. God looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cush 
sin and affliction, the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the seas? Talking there about the parting of the Red Sea. When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation, Habakkuk says, God, everything must bow to your might in your presence. Creation yields to you. Nations yield to you. Kings yield to you. Armies yield to you. The Red Sea yields to you. He uses this poetic imagery to describe other ways in which God had shown up as a mighty warrior for his people. He said in verse 9, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place with Joshua, you remember, at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger, in judgment. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. This picture that Habakkuk is painting for us is that God is this warrior who enters intervenes, who steps in, who brings, when he deals with sin, brings justice and judgment. God is gracious. God is patient. But at some point, he comes to the end of his tether. And when he does, there is justice and there is consequence. Habakkuk says, God, I have heard about all of this that you have done. I've not seen it, but God, I want to see it. In fact, he has such a moment in God's presence that it brings a physical reaction from him. He says in verse 16, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait, quietly wait, for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And then he makes a great declaration of faith. This is the, the meat of our message. Look at verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, Though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. 
He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. To the choir master, let's sing this song, he says, with stringed instruments. What a declaration of faith. Look look at what he says. If, if you're in the gardening business, if you're in the farming business, and you don't have figs, and you don't have grapes, and you don't have olives, and you don't have crops, and you don't have animals. You know what else you don't have? You don't have money. You don't have food. You don't have anything. And Habakkuk is in this point of pain. He is in this season of pain. And he says, even though I don't have these things, yet I will trust you. This was Habakkuk's contest. But in spite of that context, he rejoices. Let's be honest this morning. It's easy to celebrate and to praise God when things are going well. It's easy to celebrate God when you want to get married and you meet the perfect spouse. It's easy to celebrate God when you want to have children and the report comes that you're going to have children. It's easy to praise God when you need a job and you get one that pays well. It's easy to praise God when you have bills to pay and you have money in the bank to pay those bills. It's easy to praise God when your health is good. It's easy to praise God when you don't have to stand in front of a casket. It's quite easy to praise God when you don't have to spend time at the cemetery. It's easy to praise God when you don't have to dread holidays that are coming, the first ones without that loved one. Those are seasons in which it is easy to praise God. It becomes more difficult to worship God when none of those things happen and when everything that you were anticipating and everything for which you long and hoped doesn't come to pass, at that point, it becomes very difficult to rejoice. This is the point where Habakkuk is. Now he has a choice. Will he praise God in spite of his pain, or will his pain take precedent over his praise? And here Habakkuk teaches us a very valuable lesson. It's the one and only point I have in this sermon today. Here's the lesson he teaches us. It is possible to praise God through our pain when our focus is upon who God is, not just what God has done. It becomes possible to praise God in our pain when our focus is on his attributes, not just his activity. When we think about his character and not just his conduct. This is why Habakkuk says in verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'm not going to rejoice in the fact that I have no fruit, I have no vegetable, I have no animals, I have no food. I'm not going to rejoice in that fact. <coughs> Rather, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to take joy in the God of my salvation, not even his salvation. He says I'm taking joy in the God of my salvation. 
thing. I will rejoice because of who God is. And if God never shows up again and never does another thing for me, I still have enough to sing about for the rest of my days. I want to say something to you that I believe will be one of the most important things you will hear today, and it's not my wisdom that's saying it. Rather, it's the counsel of the Word of God. If God never did another thing for you other than sending His Son to die for your sins and to be raised from the grave, if that is the only thing God ever did for you, you would have enough to give praise to God forever because Jesus is enough and his death and resurrection give us eternal hope. The whole point. Well, let's just, let's have an audience participatory portion of our program. How about? We haven't had one of those in a few weeks. I'm going to ask the question and you're going to supply the answer. There is a correct answer. There is only one correct answer. So to make this as easy as I can for you, I'm not going to tell you the correct answer other than to say it starts with J and rants with Jesus. <laughs> Here's the question. There is but one point of Habakkuk's life, and it is to point us to who? Or someone said, J. Jesus, same thing. We'll take it as well. <laughs> Look back at verse 2. Look back at verse 2. Habakkuk says, In wrath, remember mercy. Oh, friend, Habakkuk is pleading. He doesn't realize it. I don't know. I don't know that he realizes it. But when he makes that statement, he is pleading for the gospel. He is pleading for the story of Jesus in wrath. Remember mercy. For you see, if God shows up, when God shows up, he has to deal with sin. That's justice. And that justice brings forth wrath because the wages of sin is death. You cannot offend a holy God. It's in PC, it's in kosher, but I'm not in it for a PC kosher preaching contest, okay? You cannot offend a holy God and not experience the consequence of that offense. Habakkuk pleads that as God brings his wrath, he would also bring mercy. He's praying for Jesus because you see the wrath and the mercy of God most clearly in Jesus. Jesus, God, came into human history. He lived in a fallen world. He was tempted with every sin just as we are. Yet he did not give in to one single sin. He went 
to the cross, and upon that cross, Jesus answered Habakkuk's prayer to remember mercy even in the midst of wrath. For you see, on the cross, the wrath of God, his justice met the mercy of God, his grace. And for our sake, 2 Corinthians verse 5, chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, I deserve God's wrath. You deserve God's wrath. But Jesus went to the cross, and when he died, he died for my past, present, and future sins so that instead of the wrath of God, I could receive the mercy of God. God has forgiven me. Therefore, when I die, be it today in a way a month, a year, or a decade. When I die, I won't have to stand before God for the purpose of condemnation because, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your people. You went out for the salvation of your anointed. Do you not see who he's talking about there? The only one who has ever been anointed of God is his son, Jesus Christ. You see, God always goes out. God always shows up to save people. I've got some wonderful news for you this morning. God loves you not because you're lovable. God loves you because he is love. God is able to save his people because of his anointed Jesus Christ, even though Jesus died for our sins, he was saved from the power of death and the grave. He was resurrected three days after his death. And because God saved his anointed, you and I can be delivered today. See, Habakkuk may be Old Testament. Habakkuk may be Old Covenant. Habakkuk may be Old School. But Habakkuk is pointing us to Jesus. So even when we read this text that was written thousands of years ago, we are reminded of an event that happened just a couple of thousand years ago. And how on the cross, in wrath, God remembered mercy. And today, that's why we celebrate this thing called communion. See, the Apostle Paul said over in a book he wrote of 1 Corinthians, after he reminded the church of what Jesus did, he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. And the instructions have been given to the church to show forth and remember that death. And we do that by our lives, and we do that by the observance of communion. 
As with everything else with COVID, the way we celebrate communion's changed just a little bit. So our deacons aren't passing out the elements. They delivered them to you. You had the chance to, to bring them in. But I want you to just to take that, and we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll walk you through it. You do have to be careful. Just a little pro tip here. This has got two parts to it. There's a part that covers the cup. There's a part that covers the bread. You want to get the part that the very top layer that uncovers that bread. Because what that bread represents to us, this little piece. To be honest, you wouldn't go look for a bag of it at Walmart and buy it. As you're soon to find out, it's not the greatest tasting thing on the face of the earth. But the cross of Jesus was not designed to bring us some pleasurable moment where our taste buds are satisfied. But that bread represents that body. That body that was given for us. Our sin nailed Jesus to that cross. And his offering that body was him experiencing the wrath of God. Jesus instituted the Last Supper communion with his disciples. And it makes this statement in Matthew 26, 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it. His body would be broken. He broke in that bread. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Now with your cup, if you haven't already, there's that second lid that you just pull back slightly. Be careful not to get it on you. And the contents of that cup, the fruit of the vine, that has the color of blood, because it wasn't just the body of Jesus that received the wrath of God, he had to spill his blood. In the Old Testament, there was only one way to ask God to, in his wrath, remember mercy, and it was through the slaughter of animals. But those animals had to be slaughtered every year because their sacrifice wasn't sufficient until Jesus came. And when he offered his blood, it was the once-for-all sacrifice that accomplished, it, that accomplished it all. In Matthew 26, 27 through 29, it tells us that Jesus took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What we have just done is add nothing super spiritual to our lives. It simply has reminded us of the death of Jesus. And I wonder this morning as we wrap up our time of worship this morning, I, I wonder if you have applied the death of Jesus to you. 
We all were by nature, Romans chapter 1, objects of wrath. Without Jesus, we stand to receive the wrath from God. But with him, Jesus stands in our place to take that wrath. Last night I was out in my backyard since it was starting to get a little bit cold. And I know that you look at me and you say there's someone with a body built for the cold. But I don't like it at all. But I built a fire in our fire pit in the backyard. I was sitting there by myself thinking about the message. And have you ever noticed the embers of the wood as they burn? how hot they get and I thought to myself in that moment if I can't set a foot from this it breaks my heart to think of people suffering in eternity and flames of fire that have nothing compared to what's making me sweat just a little bit I don't know why anybody would ever want to go to hell You'll not have more fun there than you're having here. I guarantee you that. And the greatest tragedy of all, the tragedy that breaks my heart, is that not a single person has to go. Not a one. Some of you in this room, you have tried to live a good life and you're at church on Halloween. You try to do good, but you've never placed your faith in Jesus. You're going to bust hell as wide open as the reprobates drunk town drunk center and everybody knows them more. You're going to bust hell as wide open as that person is. Because it doesn't matter about what we have done in our lives. It matters if we have grabbed hold of Jesus and what he's done for us. And my question to you very simply is this this morning. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? I, don't, I would never try to scare you into heaven. I don't believe in that at all. But I believe you need to know there are real consequences for rejecting the Son of God. And not a single person has to experience those consequences because Jesus paid it all. His blood ran red so that we could have eternal life with Him. In just a second, I'm going to pray. As I'm praying, if, if you're here this morning and you have placed your faith in Jesus, as I am praying, would you pray for someone who's in this room that has not done that? Would you pray for someone in your family who's yet to make Jesus their Lord? Would you pray for someone that you work with? Would you pray for that classmate with whom you go to school? Would you pray for that neighbor? Would you pray for that strange pastor? I don't know anyone like that. Then you pray that you would get yourself out of your holy huddle and find someone who needs Jesus. But if you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, as I'm praying, would you just ignore what you're hearing me say? And would you speak to God? And would you simply in your prayer confess your sin to God? Admit that you are a sinner. 
Would you ask Jesus to change your heart? Would you ask him to change you from the inside out? And would you trust him today with your soul? After I pray, we're going to stand and sing. If you want to come pray in this altar, come and pray. If you need to make a decision for Jesus, share that decision. We'd be glad to walk with you through that. Whatever God's calling you to do, just put your yes before him. Father God, how I thank you that Jesus paid it all. That on the cross, his blood ran red for my sin. How thankful I am today that Jesus did not leave me in my helpless condition, but that he offered his life. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin for me so I could be righteous. Not of my own works, but the work of Jesus for me. So Father, I pray in this moment, in this room, for that person or those people who are here and maybe they've done all the external things of trying to live a good life and, and trying to do good things, but they have never come to a place where they confessed their sin to you, repented of that sin, turned from it, asking you to be their Lord and Savior. Today, as I pray, my prayer for them is that they would in this moment simply cry out to you. There are no magic words to say. You see the heart and the words in that heart. And as they cry out to you in this moment, I pray they would feel the burden of sin released from their shoulders. And they walked in here today burdened with sin, but today they walk out free from that burden. For those of us who have made that decision in the past, May we never take for granted the sacrifice of Jesus for us. And would we simply say yes to whatever you're calling us to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.